Good morning. I think this is on. I don't know. Yeah, it's on. I can't tell. Deaf in this one, I can't hear out of that one. So I want to thank the worship team for that wonderful song. Uh, I mean, you know, somebody who really enjoys music, I sit back sometimes and just kind of listen. I can be very critical towards you know, other people playing music, and, thing, and I think they just sound so wonderful, so I, fantastic, I just, you know, if you haven't yet, uh, why don't you take a moment and say hello to a neighbor, thank him for being here, we all come to church and we sit here like this, why don't, why don't we take a moment and, uh, It's always easy to get them started, but then you can never get them to quit at the end, you know. That's how it works. But You know, if you're a visitor today, we, we thank you for being here. We love you, and we th- we're thankful that you've, you've chosen, you know, of all the churches you could have gone to this morning, you picked North Hills, and, and I'm thankful for that, and uh, I pray that it would be a blessing to you. I want to I begin with, uh, you know, we're back to school here. For me, I start back tomorrow. Some of you, I, Karen, have you... He's giving me the thumbs down. You must already be back to school. And then some of you others, I know. Um, but, uh, you know, I always think back to, you know, man, I remember my first time back, you know, when I, when I was a kid and went to high school on that first day, and I, I sat in that room, and I was, I was like, oh, what is, my, what is going on? Never dreaming that someday that room would become my room, and I would be teaching kids. And, but one of my... Uh, Favorite memories of high school, and maybe not because it's it was anything really fun that happened. It definitely wasn't any fun, but it sure made an impact on me. We were—I uh, think I was a sophomore. Uh, no, actually, I was a junior. And uh, they invited the state patrol to come in the government class. State patrolman comes in. He's up there talking about being safe driving. You gotta buckle up. And don't drink and drive, and take it easy. Uh, speeding's not going to really help you all that much. And I remember sitting there as a kid, like a typical high school kid, being a typical high school idiot. I wasn't listening. I was goofing off. I was talking to somebody next. And, you know, and uh, Officer uh, Terry was his name. He was up there going over some stuff. And I'm sitting back there like, man, this guy is just a total... Sure enough, two weeks later, driving home, boom, lights come on, I get pulled over, who is it? Officer Terry. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, you got to be kidding me. He walks up to the car and he's like, oh, you, and he started in on me, he's like, you were there the other day, you weren't listening very well, were you? And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I was, I'm just, and I felt really bad, I felt really stupid, I was like, I can't believe this, I should have listened to it. You know, my dad and his friends were like, ah, you know, they thought it was hilarious. My mom was just mortified. 
But you know, that's a great illustration, a great illustration of something I learned later. Proverbs 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Well, that was me, <laughs> sitting in there all prideful. Oh, you don't have to worry about me. I'm a good driver, and even when I don't drive, I look too cool to worry about it. You know. It's interesting how... You know, I was so, I had opened myself up by putting my guard down and putting myself at risk by, you know, having a prideful spirit and, and having a haughty spirit. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he does not fall. It's a warning to us. We have to be careful. Sometimes we go through life and everything's just great and we take our eyes off of Jesus and the next thing you know, boom, something gets us. Something happens. That's just the nature of life. And sometimes we get too comfortable, too confident that we'll miss the warning signs. I used to love to play baseball. Man, I love to play baseball. And I, and I got lucky, and I got some awards and all that, and it was great. And we we're playing over at Bethel, the Bethel Bees. And uh, we're over there with the Bethel Bees, and uh, I got a hit and drove in a run, and I remember rounding first, and I was like, yeah, this is, <laughs> yeah, baby! You know, and the kids in the dugout were yelling, I was like, yeah! Went back to first, and then I started to take my lead, and I'm still hamming it up with the guys in the, hey, hey, hey! And the next thing you know, the, the, the pitcher just kind of stepped back and winged it over to first. And I dive it out. <laughs> I'm like, remember the coach just let me have it. What are you doing? And pride goeth before the fall, you know. So there I was. You know, all of us need to take heed lest we fall. Individually, each of us have to watch out that we, we don't let our guard down. One of my best friends, he's an artist. And he makes these sculptures out of all kinds of crazy things. And he loves to collect cardboard boxes of all things. Because he cuts them up and he uses them for... Well, printed on the side of this one box was this sign that said, um, Stand on edge. Stay on edge. And he cut that out and he, he puts that right over his desk. Stay on edge. That's kind of how he goes through school. That's how he goes through life. He says, i got to stay on edge. he got to be looking. <laughs> Like somebody sneaking off of first base, you better be, be aware. And we all need to do that. The church, our church, like any other organization, can be susceptible to pride, to, to, a, to a haughty spirit. You know, it's interesting how churches are especially targeted by the world system for destruction. Do you understand that the world hates the church? I mean, us? Little old North Hills? How could... They don't hate us, do they? Well, the world hates the church. It delights when the church fails, when it falls. Jesus said in John chapter 15, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
the lost and the unregenerate are not impressed by the church. I wish that were so. I wish the lost would look to the church and see it as a symbol of good and righteousness and of help and caring in the world. But many times the lost look at the church as, as an obstacle. It's interesting. Next month we'll be holding our annual car show, which is fun. I love that. Last year my son brought a drone. And he, we kind of videotaped the whole thing, and it was just unbelievable how many cars we can get in that front yard out there. And it is so much fun, and it is so cool. You know, we're going to have hundreds of people here with those cars, and they always. I'm glad Kyle's the pastor now, because they make a big deal out of this. It's the pastor's award. You've got to go pick one car. What's the best? I'm like, I don't know anything about cars, but let me tell you, all these cars look fantastic. Some of those people who come, who bring those vehicles, some of these people are believers. But many of them are not. And they're going to roll in here, and they're going to park their car, they're going to enjoy the day, but they're not going to be especially impressed with our church. They might like the hospitality and the you know, the grounds, and but, but as far as the spiritual message that we want to present to the community, they may not be all that impressed with that. You know, the message that we want to get out, that our church is open to the community and willing to share the gospel with our community. But some of them will be of the world and not of the things of God. What will we do to make sure that these uh, that we, as a church, are adequately prepared to be the body of Christ to these people. We sure we're getting prepared for the material things. If you have uh, some donations, see Jason. I think they need gift cards. Those are always good. Uh, door prizes. I think they need some more of those. I mean, if you want to contribute to that. But we will, will we, as a church, be prepared to share the love of Christ to those who think the church is a scam? I've worked with people who think church is a scam. You show up, they take your money, the pastor runs off with it, he buys himself something nice. I don't know how nice you're going to get it, but, you know, I don't know. What are we going to do to make sure that we do not act as the world so that during the car show we're not bickering with each other, we're not grouchy with each other, we're not prideful, we don't demand things of one another, we're not bossy. Let's not give anyone a reason to think that we're a scam, that we're frauds. It's interesting, the worldwide church has been rocked in recent years by acts of evil. Of course, the Catholic sex scandal. Are there any children here today, in here? I'm going to be discussing a couple of things that probably PG-13 today, so I don't, I don't want to freak out anybody. So, <laughs> But... Um, of course, the Catholic Church was rocked by that. It's still, the repercussions of that are falling out. But, but evangelicals, Protestants, any of them walking around acting like, you know, we're better than those Catholics, I'm, I hate to break it to you, but the, the evangelical church has been just as affected by sexual sin as the Catholic Church. There are many, many high-profile churches in the evangelical world, that have been, they've been brought down because of sin. 
As an example, there's a, uh, one of the biggest church in America. The biggest evangelical church was, I believe was, a church by the name of Willow Creek. You've heard Willow Creek brought up in this, this church before. There was a time we used materials that were created by Willow Creek, and we used them within the church. There's a pastor by the name of Bill Hybels, who was a, a, a very prolific author, a lot of people look to him for leadership materials. Uh, he was the founder, the senior pastor of Willow Creek Church in Illinois, which is one of the most attended churches in North America. Their average daily attendance is about 24,000 people. 24,000! What's that, like a good day at a Reds game maybe? Or, you know, you know something like that? He's the founder of Global Leadership Seminar. He was brought down and forced to resign his position as pastor of that church after allegations of sexual misconduct were made against him. Of course, he denied all of the allegations. But the elders board did research, and they investigated, and they came out uh, with a report that said, basically, sorry, pastor, you're lying. He resigned the church. Membership has dropped off. It's totally been um, brought low. It's a mess. Another example, there was a church in Memphis, Tennessee, a, a pastor by the name of Andy Savage, not Andy Stanley that you've heard of. Andy Savage was a, uh, a youth pastor, also a, uh, a what they call a teaching pastor. He was an associate pastor. He's from a church called High Point Church that was thrust into the spotlight in January because Andy Savage uh, was wrestling with uh, some problems that he had, some guilt that he had been carrying around for a, uh, a sexual assault he had perpetrated on a member of his youth group years prior. Apparently, he was hired into this church, into Memphis, this church in Memphis. The lead pastor knew about the allegations, knew about what had happened, hired him anyways, and then many years later, uh, this young girl, she was now old enough, she contacted him via, I think it was Facebook or something, basically said, you remember me? You remember what you did to me? This is part of the Me Too movement. Women are fed up with some of the shenanigans of some of the, of the men. And she called him out on it. And he stood before the church, confessed his sin, and the church stood up and applauded. Things like this bring down the true church. Ladies and gentlemen, the devil stands and applauds the, these kinds of despicable messes. As far as he's concerned, this is a case of mission accomplished. All of us, even among the church, are susceptible to the sins, the traps of Satan. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, 
seeking someone to devour. Let's not fool ourselves. I believe the devil is real. He and his minions, they actively prowl around looking for things to steal, kill, or destroy. Especially the things and the people of God. Think about in the Garden of Eden. From the very beginning, Satan played a role in thwarting the plans of, of men. You know, I study history. I teach history. And I've had kids say, you know what? History is just one bummer of a war after another. You get this one done, and wait a few years, grow some more soldiers, and then another one breaks out. And uh, excuse me, on and on it goes throughout all of history. The depravity of man has no end. There was a, a very famous celebrity uh, who recently left her husband, or they, they got a divorce, or, or want to get a divorce. And she came out and said, well, you know what, I like the idea of being of, of being married, I enjoyed the, uh, the, uh, the closeness of it, and our relationship was really good. But, but, you know, I'm a modern person. I don't really think marriage is all that important. You know, because I have other needs as well. And, and some of these you have to find outside of marriage. And being with other people isn't all that bad. And so, you know, I just don't see... What a bunch of gobbledygook! But yet people suck this stuff up. Our kids read about this. Some of their heroes read about their attitudes towards marriage. And they don't think marriage is that big of a deal. We need to be worried about our families, about our church, because there are forces at work that want to bring us down. Now, I don't believe the devil's behind every little bush at Sunday school uh, last week. I told him about a story. I used to work at a Christian bookstore. And there was, we have all kinds of Christian books, okay? But there was this one book that the, the owner of the store would sell. He kept it in the back. He wouldn't put it out on display. It was a little book called Pigs in the Parlor. Basically, it was about there are demons and devils behind every little thing. Mark can't find his place in the Bible. That's because there's a demon right now thwarting him. And then they're falling asleep back there. Well, there's the demon of sleepiness is, is affecting him. And, and, and you, you've got post-nasal drip. Well, you, we need to rebuke that demon in the name of, you know. That's ridiculous. But I do believe that as people of God, we have a target on our backs. And that this world system that we live in, these things that are not of God, They'd love to knock us off track. They'd love to bring us off the rails. They'd love to bring us low, like Willow Creek, or any of these other churches that are affected by these horrible sins. And the fact that God is not mocked. There will be a reckoning. And it has occurred within the church, and will continue to occur. In Sunday school, we've been looking at the book of Thessalonians. So if you have your Bibles, there is a passage I'd like for you to take a look at. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This will be like part 2 of Kyle's message last week. That was a whopper of a service. I think we went to, what, 12.30? 1 o'clock or something like that. We walked out of here. <laughs> 12.20. 
I'm not going to go that long, but, you know, there's something he said, it really got me thinking about not just all of the churches, but, but our, our little church. And we've been studying the book of, of Thessalonians. And the church at Thessalonica was a new church that was founded during Paul's second uh, missionary journey. He was out, he went around, came to the city of Thessalonica, which is a big city, excuse me, Thessalonica, which is in Greece, two, three hundred thousand people. So he went to the city, he charged right into the temple, he found some Jewish believers, and he told them the gospel. And the church was born there in Thessalonica. Well, they got off to a great start, but then Paul had to leave them. He had other things he had to attend to. I think they got mad and ran him out. Anyways, he left. And he felt bad because, you know, I didn't get to spend all the time with them that I wanted to. There were some things I wanted to teach them that without it, they might fall apart. So he left. And he worried about the church. He worried that, you know, they're going to fall away. They're not getting any support at all here. In First. Uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Paul writes a, he writes a letter to the, the church because he's worried about them. Verse 17, But we, brethren, having been away from you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. We're, we've been gone for a while. We miss you. And I'm eager to get back to you. Verse 18, For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once. And yet Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. Think about that. What does that mean? Something was working against this new church. Something was working to hinder Paul's ministry to the church. Satan had taken an active role in bringing down that church. Now, I don't know if it's Satan himself, if it's one of his whatever you believe in, the demons or whatever, but he's in charge of this world system. And it worked against the church there in Thessalonica. There are many examples throughout the New Testament where it specifically mentions Satan as being involved in trying to wreck the church, in trying to stop the ministry of the church. I'm going to do a quick drive-by here. Uh, in Acts chapter 5, the new church at Jerusalem was just put together. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, you probably have heard this story, they sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself. And with his wife's full knowledge of bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? We know what happened. He dropped dead. They hauled him out. His wife came in. She told the same story. Boom, she dropped dead. Why? Ananias and Sapphira, these two people, this couple, had lied about their giving to the church. They wanted to look very spiritual. 
Look at all the money we're given. But to them, this was a, an excuse to make a little money. We'll sell some land. We'll give some of it to the church. We'll look real spiritual, and then we'll pocket some of the extra. They had ulterior motives. Ananias was satanically inspired to sell the land as a way to fake his spirituality. They didn't come for the church. They weren't there for the church to support it. They were there for themselves. What can I get out of church? This place is for me. I'm not here to serve the church. It's a way for me to, to get something on the side. A little extra money. Here we have a brand new church trying to get started in Jerusalem. And already roadblocks are being put up to prevent the church from doing and being what it should have been. In Revelations chapter 2, Jesus specifically mentions several churches, and he sends a message to them. I want to send a message to these churches. In Revelations chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, I know your tribulation and your poverty. He's talking to a church called Smyrna. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. There he is again, thwarting the church. You'll see this also in the book of Revelation, the church at Pergamum, Thyatira, the church at Philadelphia, the church in Ephesus, the church in Corinth. These are all early churches, very powerful churches. In the ministry of God, all of them, in some way or another, are being attacked spiritually. Since 1998, over 400 Southern Baptist leaders, from youth pastors to top ministers, have pleaded guilty or have been convicted of sex crimes against over 700 victims. That's not the Catholic Church. That's the Evangelical Protestant Church. And yes, the Church of God of the Abrahamic faith has had to deal with sexual sin as well. You know, as Kyle mentioned last week, one of the great sins that troubled the nation of Israel and Judah was this continual turning away from God. And as they turned their backs on God, they opened their arms up to sexual sin. Pastor Kyle taught us how the temple was filled with prostitutes and those who desecrated God's holy place with their lusts and their sexual sins. That's in the very house of God. You see, when people turn away from God, they begin to worship sin. They fall in love with it. They're enticed by it. The Bible says they're like dogs who return to their own vomit. The Bible says in James, but each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed. By his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived. You know, for we have to be on alert. We have to be on the lookout. We have to take steps to prevent sin from taking root in our lives. Like Kyle said last week, are there things in your life that you need to set aside? Maybe you have a problem with sexual sins. Well, don't go to rated R movies. Don't buy the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition. 
Maybe, maybe let that go this year. There are little things that we can all do to stay wise, to avoid putting ourselves in positions where sin will entice us. One of my favorite cartoon episodes is SpongeBob, The Hooks. How many of you have seen The Hooks episode? I know some of you don't like SpongeBob, you know, much. You've seen, you have seen SpongeBob, The Hooks. Well, they're out there and they, you know, SpongeBob and Patrick are walking through this field and there are all these hooks hanging down. Fishermen are going to catch the fish, you know. And SpongeBob's like, look at the hooks. Oh, Mr. Krabs told us, you know, hey, don't, don't go to the hooks. They'll kill us. And, you know, Patrick's like, I sense no danger here. And he's playing with hooks. And That's the way it is with sin. The devil is throwing out bait all the time. Are we dumb enough to bite on it like a bass on a jig? He's chumming the waters. So what's that got to do with me? You know, I came here to church this morning. I, I wanted to be lifted up. and I really was until you started speaking there, Pastor. And now, now I feel pretty bummed out. You know, each of us, I think, the, thing, the main thing that I want us to take away today, we all have, an, I think, a responsibility to understand that our church, North Hills, it's not going to just putter along like the Energizer Bunny forever. There are forces, both worldly and spiritual, that will work against us to bring us down, to slow us down. There are forces that would love to hinder our church, to throw it off track, to turn us into Ananias and Sapphira, thinking only of the church and how does this church benefit me? I don't care about the rest of you. I, I just I want what for me. I have this dream every once in a while where I'm stuck in slow motion. You ever have a dream like that where you're just, uh, he's trying to, and I can't move, and I'm trying to get something accomplished. When I, was, when I was a kid, it was always sports related. You know, oh, trying to swing a bat. You know, I just couldn't move. And then, uh, it, I don't know what this says about me. Lately, those dreams take the form of me like folding clothes. So I'm sleeping, and at like half the night, it seems like I'm folding clothes in slow motion. I wake up feeling horrible. I just can't get moving. You know, there'll be times when we're all tempted to go through the motions. We all stop trying to take care of the things of God. We, we, we put ourselves into slow motion. I really ought to be doing these things. I just can't. So I'm going to go through the motions. We have to do something. How do the people of the community of Northridge look at North Hills? How do they look at? Do they look at us as a church? They're, they're really nice people. They 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 believe in in God. They preach the idea of the one God. They love Jesus and they love each other. Or are we that funny little cult that, that's down there on Moorfield? They're this cult that's got this thing for motorcycles and hot rods and Easter eggs. I mean, other than that, I don't know anything about them. Sounds like a fun cult, though. If I was going to join one, and 
it'd have uh, hot rods and Easter eggs. I mean, I was at a uh, scrimmage the other day, and coach from Northeastern. I don't, I don't coach football anymore, and so I sit up there and I just love it. I'm amused. I watch the the young coaches out there get. You know, Northeastern showed up at our school, and they started scrimmaging, and they just did not look very good. They, they were just kind of going through the motions out there. And their coach kept screaming at them, you got to wake up! we got to wake up! Try, you know, trying to get these kids to get going. You know, I worry about a certain verse every now and then. Second Thessalonians, if you'd flip over there. This is one you might highlight, underline, put a star by maybe. Second Thessalonians, the, the next letter. Chapter 2, verse 3. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come. Talking about the, the second coming of Jesus. So this is what we're all looking forward to, hopefully. Jesus is really coming back. It's not a science fiction movie. He really is going to come back. Verse 3. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come, Jesus coming back, unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Apostasy. There's a big fancy church word for you. What is an apostate? What does that mean, apostasy? The term apostasy comes from a Greek word called apostasia, which means defection. It, comes, uh, it means de departure, to revolt, a rebellion. It's simply, in the, in the context of this scripture, it's described as a willful falling away from a rebellion against Christianity. Apostasy is the rejection of Christ by one who has been a Christian. There are many people who are Christians today that will begin to deny Christ. Well, the Bible's not real. God's not really real. Yeah, church is fun. We have a great time, but you know, I really don't believe any of that stuff. That's the apostasy. And the Bible warns us that as we get closer to the return of Jesus, that spirit will manifest itself throughout all of the churches. We're not talking about the non-believers. We're talking about people today who declare themselves to be Christians who one time in the future will suddenly step back and say, I don't want any more of this. I don't believe it. A day will come when a great apostasy will occur in which many will leave the church. Many will reject Christ. There are forces at work to deny the church its ability to fulfill its purpose in the world, which is hopefully for us to bring as many people as we can to Jesus. You know, this week I'd like you to take a little time. Being the, uh, I don't even, I'm not even the associate pastor. I just got lucky. I'm the pastor John, but... I can say some things Kyle can't, really, frankly. <laughs> and I want you to take some time in this week and think about your life. Think about your life here at church. How do you fit in? What's your role? All of you have a part to play. What's your gift? How do you serve God? How do you worship God? Do you worship Him in the sanctuary? Do you hang out in the foyer, down in the basement? I used to do that during church. How do you serve other people? How do you treat visitors, those who come here wandering? You know, is this church any different than any of the other churches around here? 
You realize our church used to meet three to four times a week? This predates some of you, I know, but our church used to meet three to four times a week. Twice on Sunday, every Wednesday night, sometimes one extra day a week. And it wasn't just a few, it was the whole church showed up. Now the doors to this church open once a day on Sunday and sometimes on Wednesday evenings. And Tuesday morning. Thank you. We use this building maybe three to five hours a week. Tops. You know, we used to have a week-long vacation Bible school with over 80 kids. I know because I was counting Carl. My job was to run around counting all the kids. I'd dress up like a clown and come rolling in here on a bicycle and, hey, one, two, three, four, one. You know, and we, man, we get up to 100. We all went ballistic. We loved it. You know what? We don't have Bible school anymore. You know, to be sure, there are those of us who have wonderful ministries here at church. Russ's group that meets, the, the ladies' group, it's very, meets very faithfully for Bible study. Youth group now on Wednesday night. These groups are a blessing. How do we sustain them? How do we help them? How do we grow them? How do we care for them? So that you're not off on an island all by yourself. In the following weeks and months, Kyle is going to be sharing some ideas with all of you, some plans to help keep this church from being stuck in a rut. Don't be offended if Kyle's like the young coach yelling, Wake up! Wake up! He wants to challenge us to get out, take a little step of faith, get out of our comfort zones, maybe to serve more, to give more. Maybe to forgive more, to bear each other's burdens more. Maybe to love more. Galatians 6, chapter 9 says, Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We as a church need to be on our guard. The devil roams around looking for churches he can devour. The Bible says that as we get closer to Christ's return, many in the church will simply walk away. What do we do here at North Hills to help people, to help our children, to help our families, to not turn away? You know, those churches that suffered great calamity, the Willow Creeks, the High Point churches, the Catholic Church, you know, they were brought down by little desires. Hidden in the dark, little things hidden in the hearts of men that festered and grew and eventually gave birth to sin. And that sin grew up and destroyed those churches. You know, before a wall suddenly collapses, usually there's a little crack. And if not attended to, that little crack will grow until the whole house falls down. As a church, when these little cracks appear, we need to work together to patch them up. What can we do to use this building more than maybe three hours a week? What can we do to bring back vacation Bible school? What can we do to reach out to young adults who have families and children so that they know there's a church in their community that cares about them? I look out at Liam and Corinne. I'm going to put them on the spot. 
They're like, oh, great, we came to church just to get put on the spot. I want both of you to know, and I don't ever talk to you that much, but and I should. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know you people. No, no, no. But I want you to know that you set an awesome example for young people in this church. Young people want to know, what does it mean to be married? What do you do when you're married? I thought when you get married, that was like graduation from church. You don't ever have to go back anymore. You know how many people we've lost over the years, young people, who either go off to college or get married, and they're gone. We don't ever see them again. And what have you done? You faithfully have come to church. Thank you. Thank you. Well done. Good and faithful servants. That's important. Joey and Morgan, you're here all the time. Now, when you get past you guys, there's what, like a 40-year gap to the next age or, or 20 years? <laughs> to me, you're still a young pup, so I don't... That's you. <laughs> you get my, my drift? How are we going to ensure that this church continues to move forward, that we grow? That we grow in love, that we grow in faith, that we set a good example for those who come after us. That they would look to us and say, yes, that's how you, you do church. When I first came to this church, I thought it was like every other church. A bunch of hypocrites, they all sit around and they, they play church and they get their funsies and they all go home. Well, lo and behold, here I am about 17 years old and I start to see men in this church who actually lived it. For real. That Russ Dickerson guy, he actually reads the Bible. That, that John Looney guy, he, he, what a funny name. He prays for me all the time. That Stan Rao guy, he's got all kinds of weird questions. But you know what? He taught me to, to, to look at the Bible, to trust it. Larry, the, the grouchy guy back there who ran the, the, the lights and the sound. He spent a life of service to Christ. That's a beautiful thing. What are we doing for that next generation? What are we doing for our kids? So that they look at us and say, it's real. Those people really love God. They really serve and worship Him. I did a little uh, research on how to keep yourself spiritually fit. And frankly, a lot of it all comes down to the same thing. It's about prayer. What is your attitude towards prayer? You know, the armor of God's not enough. We have to pray. We have to pray. Won't you pray with me this week for our church? Pray for Kyle as he continues to serve all of us as he gets used to being the pastor, as he finds out what he's capable of, as he finds out how to actually do the job. Won't you pray for the car show and the amazing opportunity that it is for our community, not only to show that we care about people, but that we love them. Pray for Sunday school so that we're not hanging on by a thread down there. Pray for the worship team as they bring us new music. Pray for the deacons and the ladies group. Pray, pray, pray. 
Today are our ushers. Did you see those beautiful children taking up that collection? Pray for them. Pray for them as we start back to school. Pray that we would not allow pride to crop up in our ministries or in our Christian service. Pray that God will keep us humble, remembering to consider others as more important than ourselves. You know, the devil roams around looking for ways to wreck a church. Let's not give him an opening as we rely on the power of our God to bring about his will in this church and in our lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. And Lord, I thank you for everybody here and the wonderful example that they, they set. Lord, help us to be on edge. Help us to be wise. Help us to resist the trappings of the devil so that we can be effective and minister not only to our families but to the people of this community. We especially pray for our pastor, Kyle, that you would lift him up. He and Jamie, as they minister to us, as they get used to us, as they, they learn to, to be a part of our church and our community. Pray for our families and our children as we go back to school. And I pray for our church to be pleasing to you and to be effective in this community. Father, we love you today in Jesus' name. Amen.